Hi, friends that are worshiping online at Bush Lake, Woodside, glad we're together, and it's hot outside. <laughs> and I don't want any complaints about it at all. This is, we don't complain when it's hot in Minnesota. We just, we love it. Say, I love the hot weather. Say that. I love the hot weather. That's a good attitude. Okay. <laughs> hey, listen, we're in the book of Job. I want you to be in the book of Job as well. And so we put together, our team put together a, a fantastic reading guide. Um, why? Because I'm under the conviction that many of you have never read the book of Job. And you're missing out on the wisdom of God that you need in life in a very special way. They put together a great reading guide that's complemented with New Testament scripture. Job is hardly an easy book to read. I don't claim that. It's just well worth the reading. And then on the back side, there's a QR code that gives you a link to our um, a tool to help you deal with times of great hardship and suffering. You know, as Western Christ followers, just Western civilization and our own humanity, we don't do well with hardship and suffering. Most of the world does far better than we do because they have expectations related to it differently than we do. But we could use some help. We put a great tool together. We encourage you just to go online. You can download that and find that help and encouragement and strength as you personally may process suffering, if not today, um, sometime in your future. It's a great tool. Download it for the future if you need to. One of my life axioms, and I have too many of them, I know, but one of my life axioms is adjusting expectations in a high expectation world that we all have expectations that tend to be way high here, but reality tends to strike right here, and we have to navigate that gap of disappointment, of unmet expectations. Today, I wanna clarify realistic expectations to have in times of suffering and pain by integrating two stories, the story of Moses and the story of Job. And it's not the Moses from the Bible, the one who liberated the people of God from Egypt and slavery. This is Moses, my friend, and our partner in ministry who lives in Myanmar right now that's been in the news, as you know, in great ways because of a coup that happened, a military coup that happened on February 1st. And Moses is this ministry partner who's been given this gift of God um, to mobilize an army of faithful servants to bring the gospel throughout Southeast Asia in a church planting movement. So we're partnering, this is one of our partners in our here, near, far, a vision for Westwood. Our far vision for those who might be newer to our church family is to partner with others around the world to see um, 1,000 churches planted by 2028. We're in 2021. You want some good news? We're at 700 of 1,000 right now. Yeah, we give thanks for what God's doing in this. It's it's extraordinary, and we get to be part of it. Moses is one of the key leaders in this movement as God is at work all around the world. Well, many of you have met Moses personally. If you were here in 2017, he spoke from this pulpit, and his family um, ministered to our kids and students throughout the course of the day. And um, in that day, he shared with us, and one of the reasons they were in the United States is their young boy, who's 10, in this picture, he's 12 today, has a brain cancer. And he asked us to pray for his life. And so we've been doing that. He did go into remission, but there's some symptoms that have returned. So we're just gonna invite you. We're gonna pray at the end, but take this home. Many of you fell in love with Moses and his family. It'd be easy for you to do. But I wanna take you into Myanmar for just a moment. Geographically, let me land it for you. It uh, actually borders India and Bangladesh and China and Laos and Thailand. And I had the privilege to visit there myself after he was here and got to meet these church planters right off the bat. 
It's been really hard since the coup took place to even connect with him, but I was able to have breakthrough this last week. And I'm integrating some of his words in the message of Job today. And one of the things he said is, quote, since the COVID-19 outbreak, our team has been in critical situations. Most of our teammates have lost their jobs, lack daily provision, suffer from illness, prices have ascended, the supply chain is not functioning, and people have flooded the streets in protest against the military coup. Don't know if you can read the sign there. It says, we fight for democracy, save Myanmar. They're on the brink of civil war right now. And he says, quote, soldiers and police are everywhere and shoot innocent people. It limits our daily activities. According to the AAPP, the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, at least 840 people have been brutally killed since the coup took over, the military took over the government, including 70 children, 4,000 people have been arrested, beaten up, tortured, mercilessly, and are in jail. At least 200,000 people have been forced to leave their homes. And among them include the church planters that are bringing the gospel of Christ, even in the midst of suffering and pain. Pretty extraordinary story, and it fits beautifully with the story of Job today. We know that the battle of wars and coups and natural disasters have been with us since recorded history. That's been part of it. It's just been part of the reality of our journey. But there's a parallel battle that wages in our hearts that I think is more personal and greater still. It's the battle that wages in our hearts related to those times when we become victims of suffering and hardship ourselves. And from deep within our soul, we cry out, why so much suffering? And God, where are you? And thankfully, the Bible tackles these hard subjects of suffering on so many fronts with great questions, and Job um, asks those questions in his own life as we've been learning these last couple of weeks when um, this man who had everything loses it all. He loses his wealth, he loses his health, he loses his family in an unspeakable cataclysmic event. All 10 of his kids are killed in one fell swoop. And then after that event, his wife leaves him. And not a good day. He's gone through the worst of what worst of life could bring to you. In fact, Job undergoes so much suffering that mothers in all of history are real hesitant to give their kids the name Job. And you know how I know this? I looked it up. That's how my brain works. I just, how it works it up. I looked up in these baby books and all these names. I will tell you, he does not make the 100 top names in any baby book classification that I gave. In fact, according to um, one particular group, the Baby Center people, and in 2021, his name ranked 2,537. <laughs> it is the bottom of the list. It's interesting because he has so much to offer to us. Job is not forgotten. Because of the way that he dealt with his suffering, he has become a source of strength for literally millions of people throughout the ages. If you elevate his patience and his trust, it would be a great name to give a little guy. But because we know of his suffering, we're hesitant to do so in our choices. So Job endures this baffling suffering in his life by keeping a grip on faith. Keeping a grip on faith. It's really my message today. Keep a grip on faith and the good times and the hard times. And so the question rises within us, how will I be when my world caves in and it falls apart? Will I keep a grip on faith? 
Well, like Myanmar, right now, they have suffering that is continuing. While we're meeting here, they're suffering in great measure there. And there are battles to keep a grip on their faith, even with some of these church planters, which is why I said to Moses, we will pray for you today as the body of Christ gathered here. But I encourage you to, even from this place, hold them up. They could use your prayers at this time. But today, I want to speak about adjusting expectations by looking at two things that keeping your faith won't do, and three things that keeping your faith will do. If you've had high expectations, I hope they land into a place of realistic expectations because of the life of Job sprinkled in with the life and the service of Moses. We're gonna come together and conclude our time in communion at the foot of the cross because you know what? That's where Jesus meets us. And he makes things all right when things in your life are not all right. And that's where we'll come at the conclusion of my message. Two things keeping a grip on faith won't do. Let's start there. Faith won't eliminate pain. That is, sometimes faith might bring some relief. It might even bring some miraculous healing on occasion. But most of the time, pain continues. And yet, most of us have an expectation, a high expectation that I have faith, therefore, there ought not be pain. But pain often continues even when you have a grip on faith. We look into Job's story, the initial reaction was this boundless grief and sorrow that we learned about in Job 1.20 when it says that he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell onto the ground when he heard about his 10 kids that had been killed. And we would do the same with one child who'd been killed. We'd just go flat on the ground in grief and suffering. And then we learned in chapter two, verse seven, about his painful skin disease. And if you're going through it, I didn't say it was an easy read, but it describes in detail how he takes shards from broken pottery and he scrapes away the filth and the wounds from his bleeding ulcer. Now, don't let that deter you from reading. Really, it's keep, keep reading. There's a reason why it's included and there will be a climax to the story as we get toward the end of it. In the midst of such pain, Job issued some of the greatest statements of faith in all of history that lift us up, encourage us, and help us to keep that grip of faith strong, like Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord will take away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job cannot understand all the suffering. Um, That's not the expectation. But he humbly submits to the Lord's will, remembering that all that he is and all that he has has come from him. All those possessions and wealth, all of those beautiful children that he had, they're all the Lord's. Everything that he had in his life was of the Lord. And therefore, what he's doing is acknowledging that God has the right to do whatever he wants to do with that which is rightfully his from the beginning. And Job's wife, who was just seething with rebellion against God because of all the horrific things that had happened to Job and their family, she speaks to Job. There's only one line in all of Job um, attributed to his wife, just one, and it kind of leaves an indelible impression. This is what she says to Job. Why keep your integrity? Curse God and die. That's what we get from her. So... (laughs) All right, what do you think about Job's wife? You're thinking, oh, I'm glad I'm not married to her, perhaps. Or, you know, you just feel like, wow, that's what she has to offer. But she's done with God, and she's done with Job, and she leaves the scene. But not before Job responds. 
I go, this is an amazing guy. Listen to his response. This is in Job 2.10. He says, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Boy, friends, just hold on to this. This would be a good verse to memorize. Now you're getting a keen perspective on this true battle of pain and suffering that comes to us about how you keep a grip on faith. That Job's faith, do you see it? It's not tethered to the good things in his life. It's tethered to God himself. And so when we find ourselves in a place dealing with suffering and pain, if your faith is tethered to the good things and your expectation is God, you're supposed to be doing good in my life. And so I'm tethered to the good things. What happens when the good things are no longer there? I promise you, you will struggle holding onto your faith, keeping a grip on your faith will become very, very difficult if your faith is in the good things and the expectation that good is all that can happen to you because of your great faith. Let it be to God himself through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Job is teaching us in this part of the story. Job's story is so powerful because it presents one of the most unusual pictures, I think, in the Bible. He's having a conversation with Satan. Wow, really? That just boggles your mind in the first place. And the subject of his celestial conversation is this great guy, this blameless man by the name of Job and how he might be tormented. And so we read the story. We don't like anything about the story. We don't like the idea that he's having a conversation. God is with Satan. We don't like the idea that he's seemingly standing off to the side to watch Um, tormenting happened to this blameless, faithful servant of the Lord in the beginning. We don't like anything about it. We want it to be entirely different than that. We don't enjoy the horrific bloodshed or carnage in the book. Nothing makes sense, really doesn't. Not until we get to the end, which by the way, can I just say, hang around on this series through the end, okay? It's well worth getting to the end. It's so amazing. But we're navigating a lot of pain and suffering as we get there. And I think that's the point. Suffering doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Don't have an expectation that it will. The most natural expectation um, is that life would be spelled out much like it is in the first paragraph of Job. We want for every new baby, we want for every new child to have a great education to eventually grow up, find a job that's prosperous and meaningful and purposeful, and then finally retire in the backdrop of a beautiful sunset with your feet on a beach and go, wow, life was so great and so fulfilling for us. But that's not a rightful expectation. We want the first paragraph of Job, which tells Job, uh, tells us of Job these words. He was blameless, upright, righteous, and the greatest man among his people. Um, He experienced something in the first paragraph that all of us want, no suffering. That's what we want. That's our expectation, and that's our hope. So how do you keep a grip on faith in the midst of pain? Well, keeping your faith tethered, not to the good things, but to God himself is critically important because faith will not eliminate all the pain have that as a realistic expectation. And secondly, faith won't stop the questions. You're gonna have questions. That dark cloud of questions will hover over a thousand times over. Why, God, are you allowing this? In the book of Job, the two chapters we find of great faith are followed by 35 chapters of questions, like Job 6:11. What strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? 
Or Job 7.20, I have sinned. What have I done to you? You who, who see everything we do, why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? I go, that question is not one that I think of typically in times of suffering. Going to, have, I, have I been a burden to you that you would cause such hardship in my life? Fascinating question. Let me just return to Myanmar with you for a moment. And Moses. Moses, who finds himself in a place where pain is not eliminated, it continues while he holds a grip on faith and his team as well. Questions, they are flowing in abundance. And he shared some of them with me. This is what he said. Sometimes as a human being, I feel anger with this evil thing happening in our country. I was born under the military martial law. I had grown up under the martial law and had served God under military martial law, which is very painful and unfortunate. But forget about myself. What about the next generation? I don't want the next generations to witness the same thing. All these things are truly disturbing to my heart and mind, and sometimes I am tempted to ask myself, where is God in the midst of all the chaos situation? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And then he says these words, just hold on to them. But, Joel, where can I go but to the Lord? Therefore, I personally spend time with my God knowing that he alone is the solution. And because of that, I am able to encourage my team with faith in God because God is good all the time. That speaks to me. In the midst of all they're going through, that speaks to me about what it means to hold on, to take a grip of faith in the midst of life, in the good and the bad that comes with it. And so we find this picture of Moses suffering like Job's. It comes with questions, but it comes with life-filled expectations. What expectations? Well, I want to transition and speak about three things that keeping a grip on faith will do. Expect it. This is realistic. This is a hope that you'll want in your life. Number one, faith will remind you that God is in control, that, that he knows what he's doing. When you don't know what he's doing or why he's doing it, you have a conviction that he knows, and therefore, you will trust in him no matter what comes to you in the high and the hard of life because you just know that he knows and you have that confidence. And that's why Moses says, where can I go but to the Lord? And that's what Job's story reinforces. God is the only one who is in complete control, who sees everything and knows everything. And we trust him in that. In Job's story, that's the case. In Moses' story, in my story, and in your story. In fact, we find that no time was God out of control in the story of Job. If you read it all the way from beginning to end, you will see he is in total control. We see it reinforced in Job 23, 13. But he is unchangeable. And who can turn him back? What he desires, um, that he does. For he will complete what he appoints for me, and many such things are in his mind. This is what he gives to us in this picture of a call to trust him. What are our options? We can turn away from him like Job's wife did, or we can turn toward him like Job does. We can trust him because we believe he's in control above all evil and all suffering. And we may not understand it, but we can trust him with it. Faith reminds us that he is in control. And the second point, an expectation, and I think one of my favorite points is that faith will honor God. And by that I mean when you have faith while you're suffering, 
you will present to God a gift unlike any gift that you can give to him. We don't think of that um, offering God a gift. We think of offering God the gift of a child that's born or a job that we're starting and asking for prosperity and blessing in it. But when you are going through pain and suffering and you offer that as a gift to the Lord in your trust of God, when you don't understand why it's happening, I'm telling you, it's an aroma to heaven that is compelling and powerful for your life and your journey. Jesus is looking for people who are fully devoted, followers of him, wherever you might be. And that's important because many of us know people, I know people who are Christ followers. Are they devoted Christ followers? They're devoted Christ followers if their friends and their friendships are good, if their marriages are bliss, if their children are compliant, if their jobs are prosperous, if their health is terrific, then they're fully devoted followers of Christ. But Jesus is looking for those who are fully devoted followers of Christ when your friendships are on the brink and your marriage is far from bliss and your children are not compliant. Anybody ever have a child who was not compliant? Don't don't raise your hands. Because every child has to find their way to God like you found your way to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And it can be a turbulent ride for many, many kids. Or when your job is not prosperous and your health just absolutely is um, not in a great place. And you say, I trust you, God, in the midst of this. When you do that, it is a gift to him that is so pleasing It sends an aroma to him that delights his heart because he's looking for the available ones. I love our vision at Westwood that says we are a community with open hands receiving from God all that he wants to give, believing he wants to give us a lot, with open hands giving it away, believing we cannot all give. It's a posture of availability and God is looking for people to be available. I pray that if there's any legacy that I leave in Westwood's journey in years to come, and by the way, I'm not planning on leaving tomorrow or dying tomorrow, I'm here, I'm I'm feeling good, I'm looking good. Kinda, (laughs) feeling it, right? The, the, The posture of availability, oh, let that be your mark. To receive and to give out of that rhythm that God intended for us. This is what he would have for us. If you keep a grip of faith in suffering, you'll present a precious gift of worship to the Lord. Job hung on to this truth in Job 19, 25. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, He will stand upon the earth. Many of you know that hymn, I Know That My Redeemer Lives. There's a whole great story I don't have time to tell you about the guy who was suffering and wrote this song and declared it along with Job. And Job, by the way, says my Redeemer lives at a time, it's near the end of the the interrogation he's getting from his friends who've just beaten him down. It's at a time when he feels like he's at the end of it. So the text continues in this way. It says, I'm gonna start all over. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. It's just confidence, it's just conviction that no suffering has come to me that he doesn't see, that he will stand at the end. When I was reading the commentaries in preparation for this, there's a dividing interpretation, but there's one school of thought, and I resonated with it, that it's a prophetic word about when Jesus will come to make all things whole, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God is God, whether people say God is God. And he knows our suffering, he knows our good, and that day comes when our faith in him gets, you know, Job is vindicated, but his purpose is to vindicate the name of God who will stand on the earth that we are on today. He's unshakable. I love this picture. Keeping a grip on faith communicates this availability to God 
in good times and bad times because he lives. He lives. Even in my worst moments, he is alive. He sees it, he knows it, he's with us in it, and it will be a gift to God when you let him use it in a spirit of availability. And that's what Moses does. This is what he says. Quote, whatever the circumstances in Myanmar, we are fully committed to serving our Lord because he goes with us and strengthens us in this journey. The need to help people, both spiritually and physically, also becomes greater than ever before. Let me pause there for a moment. He's speaking about the people in Southeast Asia whom the army of servants that are bringing the gospel are going to, but they're all suffering themselves. He's in pain himself. His family's in pain. The church planters are in pain. Many of them are without homes, and they're thinking about their strategy of being available for God's goodness. They're so other-centered. It's the mark of people who just are fully devoted along the way. He goes, even though our ministry activities and resources are limited, God's power is unlimited. He is transforming many lives across the country of Myanmar and Southeast Asia through us. And we trust he will continue to use us and grant us a great harvest even in the darkest times ahead. We're just about to restart our ministry again and extend our work aiming for more than 4,000 new churches to be planted. Our call, vision, and zeal are not changing or dying but waiting for God's guidance. We still have little more than 1,000 students who are working diligently on church planting. And then I'm gonna put a photo up. More than 50 people came to the Lord and took baptism in one day last month. Wow, you just take in. Read Acts. And the church of Jesus Christ spread like wildfire in the midst of persecution and suffering. I woke up this morning to be sure my sprinkler was working in the midst of the hot weather. And Moses told me he wakes up to see if there are soldiers outside of his house. I'm in a different world order, but my passion for the Lord needs to be awakened and as quickened and as compelling in the influence to see that the name of Jesus gets carried into places in my neighborhood and in my workplaces and all of ours to that given end. I just, you, he stirs up my heart, and I pray that he stirs up yours today too. We are in partnership with people who are serving Christ on the front line of the battlefield. From Myanmar to Minneapolis, Jesus Christ is being made known. So let your not faith not be a, a neutral faith. You know, take, keep a grip on your faith and let it be an awakened faith, an alive faith, a dynamic faith that says, I will stand with Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, that inspirational story of baptism that just happened this past month, um, we're doing that as well. Next Sunday, we are gonna have baptisms in all of our worship services. And if you've not been baptized, what Jesus calls us to do, to be baptized as a declaration that we are dead in our sin, but we are alive in Jesus Christ, and with that is an awakening that says, my faith counts for something, and I trust him in the best and the hardest of life, and I want others to know it as well. If you've not been baptized, then be baptized next Sunday. Let's be awakened ourselves for a harvest that will take place through the darkness of what we've gone through the last year as well. People are wanting to know the living Christ. And I find myself preaching things that I did not prepare because I just want to keep going with you. You want to stay for lunch and let's just... I, I mean, it just fires me up. It does to be with him. And if you're in the midst of suffering, you're in the midst of the most incredible opportunity of your life to trust God and to let his name be known. I've got to wrap this up um, or people will start talking to me. <laughs> but God says keep going. Okay, so here's my third. Here's my third, okay. 
I can't, I, I'm welled up, I really am. Moses just, oh, just hit the cord this week in my own soul place. But here's my, my third thing that you can expect will happen. Faith will bring you closer to God. It will. When you have faith in the midst of suffering, you will experience a closeness of God that you otherwise only get glimpses of. In your suffering, you are never closer to God than in your times of suffering because he allowed his son, Jesus Christ, to go to the cross. And while he was on that cross, it's not a historical fact detached from your personal reality. It's you on that cross and your life and your sin and your suffering and your hardship and your pain. He is with you in it. You've never gone through anything that he himself has not already endured. He is with you. He is for you. He will walk in front of you to lead your path. He'll walk beside you to hold your hand. He'll come behind you when you fall to the ground and he'll lift you up. That's the presence of the Lord. You will draw closer to the Lord. Expect it when you keep a grip on faith in the midst of your suffering. When did you grow most in your life? Think about your life. It's probably through times that are crucible moments, times of testing, trial, hardship, that you depended on God in a whole new way and you experienced his presence that moved you into a new place. Let's not wait for suffering. Let's just expect his presence no matter what it is that we're going through. Keep a grip on faith, and it will remind you that he is in control, that you will honor him with one of the sweetest gifts you could ever give, and you will find yourself in a place where you will experience the closeness. You know, in my early search of God, I didn't know you could have a personal relationship with Christ, and when people told me, I thought it was the oddest language in the world. But in the surrendering of my life and the opening of my hands, it happened. And I want it to happen to all of us, to be available for God's presence and his purposes in and through all that we go through. As 1 Peter 4, 19 says, so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Even when your life is hard, keep doing good and carrying the name of Jesus beyond this place. I want to pray for Moses. He asked us to pray for three things, to pray for um, his son Joseph, to pray for his, his servant leaders, the army of people planting churches, and to pray for a receptivity in Southeast Asia by people who don't know God to come to know him through faith in Christ. But before I pray, I want to pray for you. Some of you have been living in a lukewarm faith experience and you only imagine what it is to live with a personal understanding that Christ is with you. I just say, on this day, before we come and receive the bread and the cup in this communion experience, say yes to Jesus and fully surrender yourself to him. Expect that he will show up and begin a transformation that will be the best of your life. Okay, you have to have lunch, I need to be done, but we're gonna come to this table in the sacred presence of Christ and say thank you. So I'm gonna invite you to stand to pray with me as we come together. By the way, as we come, um, if you could put everything down, even your communion elements and just everything down, just open up your hands in a posture of availability and receive this prayer that I offer over you. Father God, thank you for a gift so unspeakably beautiful a gift of love revealed in Jesus Christ that would change our understanding of everything, including the suffering and the hardship that we endure. And it is hard. Life is hard. 
but we're not alone in it. And you are present over it with us and leading and guiding us. So we come to this table mindful of a gift that's been given. We don't come casually. We don't come with a lukewarm expectation of nothing happening, but an expectation that even now your Holy Spirit would awaken us from deep within to the beauty of a love that is the longing of our heart, an inclination to worship the God who is alive, revealed to us through Jesus Christ, who came into the messiness of our backyard, went to the cross for our sin and brokenness, died and rose again that we would have life today and for eternity. And for that we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray for Moses. Give him courage to lead well. For Joseph, his son, to be healed. For the army of workers planting gospel seeds all around Southeast Asia, bring a harvest. And for receptivity of the people to say yes to Jesus. And I pray that for us, if we've not received you, or your grace through faith that today in this moment, that you might just say to God, I'm available, my hands are open, I'm available, I say yes, Jesus, Son of God, be my Savior. And if you've been in that lukewarm place, it's been a hard year for all of us, kick it into gear and say, Lord, I'm available. Do your mighty bidding in me, no matter how hard my life is. Be glorified in it. As we worship you, receive this worship. We offer it as a gift because of the boundless gift of goodness given to us in Christ Jesus, Son of God, Savior of our soul, we rejoice. Receive us with your eyes. Look upon us with our prayers. Hear us and be honored as we come to you and remember the bread and the cup.